This is episode 57 of Alohomora for November 16th, 2013. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Alohomora. We have a really awesome special guest today. So before we get there, I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Laura Riley. And I'm Kat Miller. And our very special guest today is the Commissioner of the International Quidditch Association, Alex Benepe. Uh, say hey, Alex. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me on the podcast tonight, Kat. Oh, absolutely. We're super excited. Um, tell everybody about the IQA in case they don't know. Sure. Um, so the International Quidditch Association is a nonprofit organization that promotes, develops, and governs the real-life sport of Quidditch and uh, inspires young people to lead more physically active and socially engaged lives. Um, we've been around officially since 2010, unofficially since 2007, playing an adapted version of the game Quidditch from the Harry Potter books. Um, we currently have teams on over 200 in over 200 cities worldwide. Uh, most of these are uh, collegiate teams, and most of them are based in North America. But we're increasingly starting to have teams at the high school level and the post-college level, and in other countries as well. Um, particularly in Canada, in England, in Australia, we're starting to get teams popping up in France and Italy, and in tons of other countries. Probably our most exciting recent addition is a youth club in Uganda. Oh, that's really oh, that's cool. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're great. They make their brooms out of local materials, um, and they, they have a few videos online that you, you can dig up to that are, that are very fantastic. We're, uh, I'm just looking forward to the day we have a Ugandan Quidditch team at the World Cup. <laughs> that's that would, awesome. That would be so amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for people who want to learn more about Quidditch, they can check out our website. It's iqaquidditch.com. And we have uh, a number of regional championships this fall and then two more in February. And our World Cup event is in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, uh, April 5th and 6th, 2014. And for those of you out there listening that have never been to a Quidditch game, a Mughal Quidditch game, you have to go. They're ridiculously fun and awesome. So And the World Cup. The World Cup tournaments, especially, um, yeah. and we went a few years ago, and uh, you went last year too. And I'm planning on planning on going this year, so it's so much fun. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and my alma mater is the defending national cha or world champion, so <laughs> get out there That's and support correct, Texas. Taylor. Texas yeah, the, uh, the University of Texas team um, they won the World Cup, the sixth World Cup this past year in Kissimmee, Florida, um, and they're. University of Texas <clears throat> has a massive tower in the middle of campus that they light up in yeah, orange whenever, whenever one of their teams wins. And I, I was so thrilled to learn that the university did that for their Quidditch team for winning the World Cup. Man, I, I wasn't on campus when that happened because I've already graduated. <laughs> but hearing people talk about it, because literally what they did for um, winning the Quidditch World Cup is exactly what we do if we win a football national championship. And that's yeah. just so awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah, it's, it. it's fantastic. It's amazing. To be fair, they, they were also simultaneously letting it up for two other club sports that also won national championships, I believe. Uh, it was their rock climbing team and one other club Ooh. sport. Um, but the fact that Quidditch was one of the three and 
uh, was publicly announced as this to all the media as well was fantastic for us. It was a, a huge step forward for the sport, and I know the team. There's tons of pictures of the team like celebrating with the tower in the background. Eh, who will be kidding? It was for the Quidditch team. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what everyone on campus was talking about. So that's yeah. what matters. Awesome. Well, um, we just want to remind everybody before we jump into the chapter this week that we will be discussing chapter 19, which is the hung. Oh my God, the oh, Hungarian man. Horntail. I can never say that word. Um, so be sure to read the chapter before we start. That way you can, you know, enjoy this to the fullest. Yeah, and before we do that, we're going to read just a couple of your comments from last week's episode. And the first two come on the topic of uh, Snape, which we, or I sort of brought up because um, there's a point in last chapter where Snape is particularly cruel to Snape. And I made the point that he shouldn't be a Snape lover because he's a pretty terrible guy. He's right? so awful, but don't um, get me started. But we have two comments, um, one from Aridin or Aridon from the forums, which says, um, I think Snape is broken. He, start out, he started out extremely intelligent, albeit with an unhealthy obsession with the dark arts. I'm still not sure that that would have been enough to make him join Voldemort if it weren't for the situation at school where James and Sirius bullied him in the break in his friendship with Lily. I'm not saying it's necessarily James and Sirius's fault. Snape did plenty of bad things himself, but the fact that he was fighting an uphill battle was hard enough without the fact that his best and possibly only friend ended up against him with those he hated. And I think that may have driven him over the edge. I think Snape feels as drawn to Harry as he hates him, even though he never really shows it. Drawn to him because of Lily and hates him because of James. All the same, he realizes the need to protect Harry and does so unceasingly. Uh, I think it's okay. I think it's okay to to like Snape, but I think we still have to be conscious of his flaws. When people just say that they love Snape and that he was misunderstood and not really bad, that's not entirely true. He had a deep core of bitterness and hatred in him. The same goes for people who really hate him. Yes, Snape was a jerk and had really horrible moments, like in this chapter. But we mustn't forget how he got there and that he has endured a lot of suffering. And kind of on the flip side, before we discuss it really quick, someone else took a different angle on this is Daniel Sharp on the main site, says, I'm totally with the guys about this chapter showing us that Snape is no good guy. Even without the dozens of other examples, this one alone shows that he was a bitter and twisted man. While he may have acted on the side of good, and I love him as a character, he is not a hero. I actually think that reason he was in the room in the last chapter was in the hope that he would see Harry punished for putting his name in the goblet and to be there when Dumbledore realized that Harry was an attention-seeking rule-breaker, just like his father. Wow. So this, so this was prompted from the comment he made about Hermione's teeth, right? This yes. Right. He, didn't notice, he says, I don't see a difference. Right. What a jerk. See, yeah, this is probably not the best um, panel we could have right now. I don't know what <laughs> Alex, your opinions are, but, like, it's like, um, as far as I know, me, Caleb, and Kat we all have the same opinions of the Snape of like great character, horrible person. Yeah. Right. So this is not really a particular, it was kind of a one-sided conversation unless Alex, you have a different opinion. So um, what do you think? I think uh, <laughs> my, my view of Snape has been so like sort of stilted in, in recent years by Joe Moses, uh, just because <laughs> I see so much at, um, at the World Cup and have interacted with him and, and watching like Harry Potter music, like I feel like I'm I've been, become closer to that version of Snape than the other one since I last read the books. Um, so, so I it's very agree. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's very hard for me to like think like think back to like real evil Snape and not picture like Joe Moses's face. <laughs> especially since those plays do make him like extremely sympathetic, especially in like the last one. So absolutely, definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, and I I understand where um the first comment is coming from. You know, you can't forget where Snape's come from, but I think you get into a very dangerous territory if you start to excuse things because of people's past. I mean, this, especially the series is all based on choices, and no matter what you've gone through, you still have to make your own choices. And exactly. I think that's- that is exactly what I was going to say. I mean, I, I agree more with Daniel Sharp in this point. Like, I've always said I don't believe he's a hero, not a hero, not a hero, not a hero. And I will always stick with that. Um, yes, he has very few and far between redeeming moments, but overall... He's a jerk. It just makes and him not evil. <laughs> like, yeah, it just makes him not the, evil, exactly. Um, I think part of the culture of, of forgiveness around Snape is kind of a result of Dumbledore's influence on all of Hogwarts and, and therefore the readers in general. Um, I know a lot of people who are just like, why is Slytherin still part of Hogwarts? Like, you'd think they would learn like after all these times again and again and again and again when Slytherins turn out to be evil people who've done evil things. Um, and I think I think that's part of the the culture that that Dumbledore and headmasters before him created in the School of Hogwarts, and I think that has extended here to Snape as well. Hmm. That's a good point. I guess yeah. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Dumbledore is breeding it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Okay, well, the next comment um, comes from Tweak6 on the forums, and this is on the topic of Harry and Ron's um, fight that is now fully informed. And the comment says, On Ron and Harry's fight, as much as I hate it when the trio don't get along, these arguments are actually some of my favorite moments in the books. The argument gives us so much character development, which wouldn't be able to happen as effectively in big adventure scenes. And the descriptions of their emotions are just so realistic for kids of that age. It gives a dose of realism in this magical world with them just getting to be normal teenagers. And I love reading the, those scenes as they are, yeah. And I love reading those scenes as they are what allowed so many of us to connect with and relate to the characters rather than only admiring their actions. Well, I have to agree that it is definitely interesting character development and um, certainly makes it more realistic. I agree with those things. I have to disagree with the enjoyable aspect. Like, <laughs> I I agree, yeah, that it's it's certainly great character development, but at the same time it's like everybody hug and make up, please. Let's move on. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I actually do, I actually don't mind at all when they fight. Um I feel like Harry needs to learn to be on his own sometimes, and that's I think what those fights are mostly for, to be honest. Because think about like he I don't think he'd be as strong as he is in the end if and I don't think he would know that he could do it himself if he had never had to do it himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a really interesting comment about um, how the fights feel very realistic to young readers. Um, I think one of the many reasons why Harry Potter is so popular is because unlike a story like Lord of the Rings where all of the main characters are these mythical badasses um, who have just like always been that way, um, in Harry Potter, the, the story starts off with a kid who has been totally normal his whole life and then all of a sudden gets informed that he's magical and has these magical abilities and gets to go to this magical school. Um, and I think that access point for everyone to make the story feel real because it's like, oh, it could happen to me. And everyone still laments when they their birthday comes around they don't get the Hogwarts letter. Um, 
I, I think that you're, you're seeing that here too, that, that J.K. Rowling went to great pains to make the interactions of these kids feel like real kids to add to another level of relatability to the story. That's super true. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was way too old when I read these books, but you know, whatever. You can still get your letter someday, Kat. Uh, fingers are crossed, man. Fingers are crossed. <laughs> and the last comment comes on the topic of Rita Skeeter's Quick Quotes Quill, and it comes from Subjective Unicorn on the main site. And it says, I imagine Rita's Quill being similar to Autofill or T9 on a mobile <laughs> phone. It takes time for it to learn which words the owner uses, but later it chooses the most often chosen vocabulary of the user and types it in. So is Rita's Quill, but in more complex format. It had learned her way of writing and follows the patterns. I could imagine that such, magical, that such a magical object would be widely available for the wizard journalist to buy. We know that there are smart answer quills, auto-spell quills made by, we made by the Weasleys. Possibly they took Rita's Quill as a prototype and developed it further. <laughs> I love this analogy. First off, the T9. Like, Does anybody have a phone that uses that anymore? No, it's been so long since I've used T9. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not to insult anybody that does have that. I apologize in advance. Um, that's just really funny. And it's, um, too, I was just, I was reading the comments earlier, and there's this whole great theory about, um, you guys talked about last week how if someone else had picked up Rita's quill, would it write her words or would it write their words? And there's this whole theory about, you know, before she writes, how she sucks on the end of it or whatever. Like, that's mm. how the quill knows whose words to emulate. Mm. I don't know. It's just, I, go read it. It's on the forums. Yeah, I'm really disappointed that I missed this discussion in general, just because I've said, whenever we've discussed artifacts in general, especially me being, like, pursuing journalism, like, I've always been fascinated with, like, the quick quotes cool and, like, how it actually works. Um, and if it was similar to, like, I'm, I'm back before I knew what Horcruxes were, I assumed it worked in the same way Tom's Riddle's diary did, but that's definitely not the case. So, <laughs> but yeah, I found it definitely really interesting, and I think that sucking on it is an interesting theory. You know what I just thought of too. You know that whole that meme thing that's going around that that um that what would I, I what would I yeah. say or whatever that. My God, I'm so over it. I'm <laughs> so obsessed. When it was talking about how it learned her ways of writing and following the patterns, that's what I thought of. So. Yeah. I wonder if the quill would self-destruct if someone else tried to use it. Oh my god, that would be great. And exploding everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> that would be awesome. I could see that. It is Rita's <laughs> quill after all. Okay, well then I think we're going to move on to the podcast question of the week responses. And I'll just remind you what that question was. Um, we said that Harry, you know, he was not on good terms with Ron, but Hermione's still there to keep him going. So Harry doesn't seem to really acknowledge this. He's constantly thinking of Ron. So we asked, up at this point in the series, is Hermione giving much more into the friendship with Harry than Harry is giving in return? Um, so we got a, lots of comments, and this first comment comes from Pig Desk, and it says, We have to keep in mind that it's Harry's point of view. We see Harry focus on Ron's negative reaction towards him, rightly so. It is perfectly normal for an angsty youngster, youngster to obsess about one, about one of his BFFs not supporting him. In Harry's point of view, we see it as an imbalance of attention, but we don't see him project this overwhelmingly 
slanted position to Hermione as much as we see it internally. I don't think Hermione would perceive Harry's focus on Ron to be more than warranted giving yeah, giving the stress he is under. However, Harry's stress and focus on Ron hinders him for utilizing and appreciate hinders him from utilizing and appreciating Hermione's genius, and that I think is annoying. So first of all, I just want to say I bridged that. But um second of all, I definitely like the point that they made that while we're seeing Harry feel all this angst, he isn't actually really outwardly projecting like, oh, Hermione, I'm so miserable being with you. Yeah, but that doesn't make it okay. I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not saying that. that. Yeah, but it doesn't change the fact... I mean, he may not be showing it completely, but while Harry's, like, may harbor these internal feelings, and that it's true, we're getting a biased point of view perspective, and he's not necessarily acting on all these feelings. Like, think about it. Like, when you, like, are feeling, like, a negative way about someone, you may try to hold back, and you don't tell them bluntly how you feel, but... Like the tone with which you talk to them, how like how like how you use your intimate space with them changes to a degree. Like it comes through. Sure. Okay. I get what you mean. No, that's true. I mean, usually I bluntly tell people, but right, if but they're not, not, I mean, but that's me. <laughs> but um, if they're not right in my face, then yeah, that's true. I would definitely probably my intimate, you know, the tone of my voice and stuff. That's true. Uh, okay. So now we have an audio clip from Audio Boo to listen to. In response to this week's question of the week, I think Harry is at a bit of a selfish stage in his life, a period many of us go through in our early teen years where we start to take for granted those long-lasting friendships. I think adults tend to have more trouble making friends, especially once they're out of college and no longer have extracurricular activities like sports teams, etc. So older people tend to value friendships more. Harry loves Hermione, obviously in a platonic way, but I don't think he ever fears she'll abandon the friendship, so he doesn't have to put as much in. With Ron, there's already a jealousy issue that Harry is somewhat aware of. Ron has a serious inferiority complex around Harry, whereas Hermione clearly has some talents and skills that Harry cannot compete with. I think Harry fails to fully appreciate Hermione, but it doesn't come out of spite. He's simply a young, naive teenager. Yeah, I mean, I have. To, I don't want to give him too much... Like write him off too much and saying that oh just because he's young he like is stupid because I feel like you know that's not necessarily an excuse but at the same time it happens so it does I mean and I do agree with her point about how as you get older you appreciate your friendships more I think um, although I think probably by their seventh year at Hogwarts they appreciate each other quite a bit <laughs> But maybe not so much at this point. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And this last comment comes from the band that needs no introduction. I really like that username. And it says, Harry and Ron give Hermione what she needs most. Friendship, a sense of fun, and getting the job done in the end. Hermione gives Ron and Harry what they need most. Brain power, motivation, and emotional maturity. Hermione's help to Harry and Ron is more obvious and regular. But Harry and Ron's help to, help to Hermione is just as significant. When Hermione comes to Hogwarts, she has no friends and is a stranger to the Wizarding World. Ron helps to integrate her into the world, and Harry is her companion as they enter the world together. Even in years later, her friendships outside of the trio are limited to Ginny and some of the DA. Without Harry and Ron, Hermione would be lonely at Hogwarts. Hermione would never have to would never take a break, have some fun, or take risks if it weren't for Harry and Ron's influence. She would never have gone through the trap door to get the Philosopher's Stone, never had a laugh, and never taken a night off studying. She's a more balanced person thanks to them. 
Hermione often figures out what needs to be done, but she needs Harry and Ron to do it with her. And I think that's the beauty of the trio, basically, that they said right there, that the three of them give and take things from the other two. Mm -hmm. It's pretty balanced, I think, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I also just wanted to give a quick shout-out to, there was a really beautifully written comment um, on the forums we can really include just because it was extremely long and slightly off-topic, but uh, if you want to read Olivia Underwood's comment on basically just Harry's um, fault of always being, feeling like he needs to be alone, it's a very beautifully eloquent comment. Y'all should check it out. Where's that on the forums? It's on uh, the po- the podcast question of the week for episode 56 comments. Okay, so it's on the main site. Yeah. And with that, we are going to jump into our chapter for the week. Chapter 19. The Hungarian Horntail. Okay, so here we are. Harry has um, gotten his letter back from Sirius, and he's super excited because now he gets to talk to his godfather. He's not quite sure how that's going to work. I know he knows it's in the fire, but you know. Anyway, so um, it says that he's never been this nervous, not even, oddly enough, since his first Quidditch match. Um, and he admits that he isn't sure Sirius is really going to make him feel any better, um, but it's, he's really excited to talk to him anyway. So it goes on to say that... Um, you know, Reader Skeeter has released the article that she wrote about the quote-unquote tournament, <laughs> which really turns out to be basically a piece about Harry. Um, the names of the Bobaton and Durmstrang champions, which were misspelled, were stuck kind of in the last sentence of the article, which ran over four pages, I think it said. And yeah. poor Cedric wasn't mentioned at all. Hmm. Poor guy. Oh, I felt so bad for him right there. <laughs> like, know. more so. I think I felt more bad for him, like, I mean, this is going to sound awful, but, like, like when it, like versus him, like, dying, like, I had a more emotional reaction to, like, him being left out of the article. I just felt so bad for him. I, I just feel bad for the Hufflepuffs out there, you know. Yeah. Alex, what house are you? Well, that's a good question. I, I always fashioned myself a Gryffindor, um, but I Pottermore put me in Ravenclaw, um, and, and I think... Um, more and more people who I've asked independently without telling them what I think I am have put me in Ravenclaw too lately. So I'm having a bit of an identity crisis. That's where I would put you. I would put you in Ravenclaw. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I think I'm turning into a Ravenclaw in my old age. Or maybe I always was, and I just <laughs> didn't know it. Um, Perhaps we so- sort too soon. Perhaps we <laughs> <Yes>. sort too <laughs> soon. <laughs> that may be true. Exactly. I played... Um, I went to my alma mater, Middlebury College, where Quidditch started to um, run a lecture at an entrepreneurship course at Middlebury about Quidditch and, and how it got started. Um, and I started off, it was a small class, because it was like a special winter term course with 15 students. So I started off the class by um, sorting all of the students, because I knew that it was like a very concentrated class where they... Um, they met every day for a month. So we played this awesome sorting game that I came up with where I would write each of the four houses on the chalkboard at the front with the summary of the characteristics underneath for anyone who wasn't like super familiar with each of the houses. Um, and then we would ha- take turns having each student in the class come up and sit in a chair in front of the class, and we'd put a hat over their eyes. <laughs> and the rest of the class would silently vote on what house they're in, and then you announce it. 
Um, and it was really cool because some of them, like, there's a lot of, there's a little bit of hushed debate and people raising their hands. There's a really close vote. Others, like, one kid went up and, like, the whole class voted in Slytherin instantly. Um, so that was, that was been fascinating. Um, and what was disturbing to me there is they, they voted me Slytherin. Uh, ah. <laughs> chalk that up to an anomaly. Um, <laughs> I hope they like the rest of my lecture. But it's a cool game. I'd highly recommend you, you try it. With I was just going to say, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's very fascinating. If we weren't already all sorted, I mean, yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah I refuse to like do any more quizzes just because I'm afraid like it was the most validating experience of my life to get Gryffindor and like I'm never touching anything again <laughs> like to like <laughs> invalidate that. I was happy with my sorting, so. Yep. Yeah. Um. Okay, but back to Rita's article here. My point about this was. How does this woman keep getting away with writing these awful, awful articles which have nothing to do with anything? Man, she's well, like... I heard of the tabloids? <laughs> well, it's man, it's not even that, though. Like, she's on the front page of the Daily Prophet. For me, right. she, reminds me of, she reminds me of Nancy Grace. Like, I just oh, think ah. that if Nancy Grace was in the wizarding world and a reporter, she would be Rita Skeeter. Oh, my, <laughs> my God, God. That's so true. <laughs> that's hitting the nail on the head, man. <laughs> Because it's not tabloids. Like this is the this is like legit on the it's in the paper. Like this isn't the Enquirer or whatever. Right. Yeah. In my experience with doing interviews for Quidditch, um, so I've definitely had some interviews with newspapers that I w I won't name here. Um, that <laughs> just you think the interviewer is going to tell one story. And then the thing that ends up getting published is just so different from anything you said to them um, or anything they asked you about. I, I've been like terribly misquoted. I've had quotes taken completely out of context. Um, it definitely gives you a really deep appreciation for really good journalism because sometimes mm -hmm. I'll do interviews with people who come prepared with like tons of really interesting, insightful questions that show they've really done their research. Um, or, or I'll do interviews with people who take like five scribbled notes over the course of a 30-minute conversation and then just make it up. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, I think Rita Skeeter's a really cool, um, I feel like she's one of the more blatant pieces of social commentary that J.K. Rowling inserted into the Harry Potter series, uh, mm -hmm. and I'd love to see that sort of taken to its full extension in Cuckoo's Calling, which I just read and loved. Yeah, I was just thinking the mm -hmm. same analogy. I yeah. haven't finished it. Don't spoil it. Oh, we won't spoil it then. But it's obviously, I'm sure you've read it far enough to understand that there's definitely commentary on the role yeah. of media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah. feel like, I mean, again, I haven't like finished it, but I feel like she took that one little idea that she had with Rita and made it into a book. So that's kind of exciting. Absolutely. Um, I think the one that's true about um, real journalism and Rita Skeeter is that you get these situations where you have a lot of editors or writers who come to the story having already figured out in their heads what the story is going to be and they're really just looking for quotes to plug into it to make it fit their vision of it. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I guess it feels like that with uh, this way with Rita in this story, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, so obviously, as we were just talking about, she goes on to misquote Harry 
like a bajillion times and people still believe it which i think is the hilarious part like these people have known harry for the last three years have they ever seen him walking through the halls crying i don't know anyway um and i like this little bit in here where colin creevy is quoted saying that um that harry's always seen with hermione a stunningly pretty muggle-born girl and i just like I just pictured Colin kind of, you know, crushing on Hermione a little bit. <laughs> it made me smile. Because I saw that dorky little kid that plays him in the movies when I pictured him in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway. Um, so to continue here, so not much happens in this chapter, guys, just to be honest. Um, there's a couple, like, key things that get dropped. But really, not a whole lot happens. Um, here, Harry is kind of... Super frustrated because all the Slytherins keep picking on him, asking him if he wants a hanky in case he starts crying. And he basically blows up at Cho in the hallway. Whoops, you know. Awkward. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Um, and Harry, his inner dialogue, he keeps saying that he, you know, is wishing that Ron was around. That he does miss him, even though he's trying to pretend that he doesn't miss him. And I was wondering... um, he talks about the detentions that they were that they had with Snape and how Harry was saying that he wished he was hoping at that point that he'd be able to make up with Ron. But that was the day that Rena's article came out. And I was thinking, do we think that Harry would have been more confident going into the first task in this next chapter if they had in fact made up at those detentions? Would Harry feel better about himself? Um, I mean maybe. But I think that the way that it plays out, him finding things out, it's probably the best prepared he could get. I mean, like, he gets to see the dragons the night before. I don't yeah. know how much Ron would have added to that. Yeah, I think, um, let's just pretend that, like, Ron never had a problem and was, like, total support from the beginning. I don't think anything would be different, really, because Harry wouldn't almost have known what he had lost in the same way he, like, when he, everyone thinks he's the heir of Slytherin and all that, but because if they had like fought and then made up, I do think that would have had a positive effect on him. I wouldn't say it would have made him more confident about the first task, but I think it would have made him feel less like miserable socially, less terrified, less alone. Yeah, I mean, because it's not just the first ta- tasks he has to worry about. It's just like it's all the stuff of the. It's the article and it's all the people calling him names and all that and serious stress and there's like a million things happening and I think everything that isn't the first task would have been better. I think that sometimes when you're entering some kind of major test or or public challenge like this in in the form of the first task that sometimes having um, other problems or everything else going wrong in your life is can even help you going into the task because it's sort of it's like that expression, once you've hit the bottom, you can only go up. Um, it's like he knows he has to face a dragon and he's having these terrible problems with his friends and the whole school hates him and is making fun of him. You know, where where else can he go but go into this task and, and rock it? Um, so I, I think that sometimes there's something to be said for going into something in a very position and having this sort of chance for redemption. No, that's true. I mean, he's definitely at pretty much the lowest point he could be at self-esteem wise right now anyway yeah i never thought of it that way you know rock bottom you could only get better from there Mm. it's true 
Um, and there's this quote in here that I really like. It, again, this is Harry's uh, inner dialogue. It said there was much less laughter and a lot more hanging around in the library when Hermione was your best friend. Whoops. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I just read it this time and I laughed out loud. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of tired this week. Um, <laughs> Get it together, Kat. I know. I, it's a day. What can I say? It's a day. Um, and then at the top of page 317, there's this another great quote here. It says that Harry still hadn't mastered summoning charms. He seemed to have developed something of a block about them, and Hermione insisted that learning the theory would help. And, of course, when I heard them um, talking about learning the theory, I immediately thought of Umbridge. Huh. That's a good thing. I never really thought about that. Yeah, because I feel like it shows here, If I mean, if you think about it, that Hermione knows that Umbridge on some level is right, that, like, learning the theory would help. Um, but I'm wondering if, and this is jumping forward a little bit too, the next book, but if the reason she's so worried about Umbridge way of teaching is because she's scared not to learn how to do them because of uh, Voldemort. Yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, I think um, it has, it, it's more to do with just a balance. I think it's the extremism that, like, mm. turned Hermione off. If it, if it had been like, oh, we're going to be learning lots of theory and, like, a million books, you're going to have to read a million books but we're also going to do spells. I think Hermione Umbridge's personality aside would have been pretty excited to like read a million books in theory, but also be able to do the spells. I think it was the extremism of like, we're only doing this coupled with the fact of like the Voldemort being back and stuff. So I think that had more to do with her like freaking out about that. But in this situation, I think it's totally very Hermione-ish to be like, yes, you need to learn the theory and practice it. all about that balance that's true i i would agree with that um so there's this great scene again where harry and hermione are in the library of course studying and they're talking about crumb and his gaggle of girls that always seem a gaggle of giggling girls i'll make it even gaggle more giggling girls yeah you sounded very weasley right there when you said that i was you know that scene in the movie what i was going about. for yeah okay um <laughs> And made me laugh how she's talking about how he's not even good looking. And then she says uh, they wouldn't look twice at him if he couldn't do that wonky faint thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel for Harry here because he says that it causes him a pang um, of hurt to imagine Ron's expression if, if he could have heard Hermione talking about wonky faints. And I just felt for him here that he was missing his best friend so bad. Yeah. I just felt for him. Um... So it goes on to say that it's the weekend before the task and everyone above the third year is able to go to Hogsmeade. And I'm not even going to really talk about this part because nothing super exciting happens except for the fact that we learn that Moody can see through Harry's invisibility cloak. But it would be funny if you were there to see Hermione talking to herself so frequently. <laughs> that is very true. I want to see her hand the butterbeer and have it disappear. <laughs> um... Has anyone ever had hot butter beer? No. Because I, I just read this thing about where you can, like, order from Starbucks now. Yeah, but I... So, that's... Okay. So, someone told me this. Well, I mean, I knew that they were doing this, but someone told me the actual recipe. I don't think they're making butter beer right. Because it seems like they're loading down on caramel, which, like, granted, may be a normal butter beer, but that seems like the main ingredient, and that's that's not right. Well, what else is in it? Isn't, I mean, isn't there, like, a lot of butterscotch in it? Yeah, in real butter beer, what's in the Starbucks recipe? Um, that's a lot nut. of yeah, that. 
what toffee nut it's actually i mean i've had it i think it's pretty good it doesn't sound real i mean it's it's not (laughs) but as a as a beverage that i enjoy as a butterscotch lover regardless of my butterbeer i'm a fan I've heard that they were, I've heard that when they were making the, the theme park that uh, much convincing had to be done to to um, assure uh, Joe Rowling that that you couldn't have warm butterbeer in Florida. Uh, she she wanted the butterbeer to be warm, and they had to <laughs> explain to her, look, just because you have warm beer, first of all, warm beer is an English thing, and second of all, it's Florida. It's got to be cold, and there has to be an iced version, too. Um, oh. And eventually, I think she she came around. Um, that, that frozen butterbeer is so good. <laughs> oh, it's great. At the same time, I would have ordered the hot one. Like, I was in Epcot, and, like, I still got, like, piping hot tea in France just to have it. Like, it was miserable drinking it, but I needed it. So if I was in the Wizarding World, I'd have my hot butterbeer. <laughs> Regardless. You, you would be the only one. No, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's probably not true, but, you know. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so... I was wondering, um, you know, as we mentioned, that the only thing we really learn here is that Moody can see through the invisibility cloaks. What do we think that this information, like, at this moment achieves? I mean, obviously, you know, it helps us learn later when Harry's stuck on the stairs, blah, blah, blah. But is this setting up Moody to be on Harry's side at this moment as a helper, as an ally? I didn't really think about it, like, because he's not really, like, helping Harry any here. I just more thought, oh... I guess, well, the first time we are like, oh, I didn't realize the eye could see through a cloak, so. Makes me wonder what else it can see through. Yeah. That was Cat's dirty moment of the uh, episode. Oh, I didn't even take it there. <laughs> I did, but I just I just figured I'd let it sit I mean, that's there. not going to be a new <laughs> thing. Like, that's not going to happen every episode, so. <laughs> Don't, okay. Anyway, so. Um, when Hagrid runs into Harry and Hermione in the bar, he tells him, tells Harry to meet him down at midnight, and of course, you know, Harry does. Which is just a little odd. Like, Harry, come see me late at night tonight. <laughs> like, And that's Caleb's dirty moment of the show. <laughs> no, it's not It's not even about that. No, like... I know. It, I, it makes me think of, like, when Alyssa, or I don't know if when she was on the show we talked about Hagrid, but we always have conversations about Hagrid and how he's just so awful and inappropriate. So. He's, I mean, he's the drunk uncle, right? I mean, haven't we discussed this before? Yeah. Yeah, he's the inappropriate one, for sure. Um, so later that night, of course, um, Hermione helps Harry get out of the common room, which I thought was really odd. She's not really the rule-breaking one, but I guess she's going easy on him these days. Yeah. Um, and he heads down to the cabin, and Hagrid leads Harry and Madame Maxime, of all people, out to the dragon enclosure. And I just really like the way this is described. It says, Hagrid leads Madame Maxime around a clump of trees and came to a halt. Harry hurried up alongside them. For a split second, he thought he was seeing bonfires and men darting around them. Then his mouth fell open. Dragons. I mean, I remember reading this and being like, oh, my God. Dragons. I mean, I wasn't particularly shocked just because of the covers. Got a big old dragon on it. But... um... At the same time, it's still pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, it's, you're living in this magical world for three and a half books at this point, and then Joe, like, kicks it up another level. That's just so awesome. Yeah, everything in this book is super magnified, isn't it? Yeah. I love this book for that reason. Yeah, it's your favorite, right? 
I, I straddle between this and Deathly Hallows, but, you know. Fair enough. Deathly Hallows. Um, so the, the whole first two pages here, when they're talking about the dragon, there's a ton of emphasis on the horn tail, which yeah. I guess I had never noticed kind of until this time around, which is obviously foreshadowing that, you know, remember this one because it's going to be really important. Remember how vicious and awful and spiny it is. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Harry. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then we go on, and Harry says that he recognizes one of the um, dragon tamers, and it's Charlie Weasley, Ron's older brother. And in true Weasley fashion, he makes a nice joke about Hagrid taking Madame Maxime on a nice romantic date to see the dragons. I just thought it was really cute. Uh, I'd be really happy if someone took me on a date to see dragons, just putting that out there. Well, so I don't see the problem. I also really like that, even though it's like, very quick, Charlie asks about Harry, and like, so you get this another element of a Weasley showing how much they care about Harry. Yeah. Yeah, because then he goes on to um, talk about Molly, and how mm -hmm. worried she is about Harry. And because I, she takes Rita's story as complete fact. I know, I couldn't believe that. I was like, how many, I mean, how many weeks has Harry spent with them that I can't believe Molly like believes that but she's still in that case just like a mom who gets wrapped up in tabloids who like mm. is like my mom will come home and be like oh my god did you see that this person did that i'm like nope they most definitely didn't i promise you so i and i love in the, in the future when she like sends hermione like some crappy easter present or something oh, that's right she's, she's totally mad. rude i like totally love that moment <laughs> I forgot but, about that. How it's, oh, that bad Molly. That's not very mothering of her. Oops. Um, so they hang out a little while in front of the dragons here. Harry basically craps himself <laughs> and then runs off back to the castle because he needs to meet Sirius at 1 a.m. of all times. Like, hello, responsible godfather. Anyway, um, and on his way back up to the castle, he literally runs in to Karkaroff. Like, bang. <laughs> falls over. I just want to say I wish that had been in the movie because I think Dan would have shown. He would have shined in the... Uh... Yeah, those are his kind of moments. Yeah, definitely. Um, like but also just think about if you were walking around and you feel someone run into you out of nowhere. <laughs> like, what? what is your initial reaction to such a horrifying experience? <laughs> I mean, I love how it says how Karkaroff is like looking down around his knees like he thinks it's a dog. Like... I don't know. No. Fam, you like something just collided with you that is your height. You need to you need to be <laughs> looking around. Not just for animals. He just brushes it off. He's like, yeah, whatever. He's it's also a, it's also a magical world. And and granted there's there's a shocking lack of invisibility in the magical world. Um mm. besides this this invisibility cloak. Um but in a magical world, I feel like you're, and when you're walking around a castle that's devoted to the study of magic, I feel like your your sort of tolerance for crazy things happening is a lot higher. <laughs> that's a good point. Like, like you just sure. sort of accept it. Like, oh, something invisible just bumped into me. Magical school. Just another Wednesday. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Like, Harcroft is, like, ready to, like, duel it out. But, like, I'm, like, thinking in my daily life if something like this happens, and yeah. I, I, would, I would be terrified. Oh, my uh, God. 
I just scream and run. I was gonna say, what would you do? <laughs> no, I would not. I'm a Gryffindor. I'd stand and fight. <laughs> would you though? I mean, I'd be fighting air, I guess, but <laughs> I would say I won. Just foiling. <laughs> you could say that you won. I mean, that's true. You could. Oh, that's funny. And that's what's important. Winning. Spoken like a true Gryffindor. So Harry makes it back up to the Gryffindor common room and is looking around for Sirius and and hears him pop into the fire. So he turns around and he says that, you know, he wouldn't uh he would think it was kind of crazy if he hadn't seen Cedric Diggory's father do this only mere months before. Anyway, so we had ta- we talked about the flu network before and it's in, you know, what kind of fireplaces are connected and what aren't and thank you Joe for answering all those questions that we asked on Pottermore. But still, this still confuses the hell out of me. Like, how is Sirius able to just stick his head into a fireplace in Hogwarts? Yeah. Which is, like, impossible to get into. Yeah, this is one of the things I've never been able to figure out. It just, there's, you get all of the, these explanations of how this shouldn't be possible in Hogwarts and how special circumstances have to be created for it. And it's, I don't think Dumbledore, well, first off, I mean, Sirius wouldn't be able to really contact Dumbledore easily, and then Dumbledore, I don't think, would like open the the fireplace. Plus, the Ministry would have to know about it. If that was the case, I would think. I don't know. Thoughtful. Not cool, Joe. I'm sure she has a brilliant explanation for it. Oh, I'm sure she does. I bet if we asked her, there she'd have an answer right there on the tip of her tongue. Yeah. This interaction between Harry and Sirius is is very interesting to me. I don't know how jails work in England, so I don't know if, if it's if it's just me creating this connection or if J.K. Rowling intended it. Um, but even though Sirius has escaped from prison, the way in which he and Harry are interacting through this fireplace reminds me of um, prisoners being visited, how they have to mm-hmm. speak to somebody through this glass wall and with this telephone. Um, that it's almost like you're just like seeing an image of the person and hearing them through the phone. Um, th- the fact that even though Sirius has escaped from jail because he's this wanted man, he still has to kind of live like a prisoner and speak to Harry in, the, in this sort of secretive manner where he can't really connect with him face to face. Yeah, really I cool. think that's a really awesome point. I'm kind of speechless over here. I yeah. like that's brilliant. <laughs> You are a Ravenclaw, sir. <laughs> yeah, I could have thought that conclusive now. We welcome uh, you into the house. But now I need to look it up and, and figure out if that's, if that's a thing in English jails. But, but I guess surely it's like a thing in popular culture. I mean, it's in like mm-hmm. every other American film. So um, I'm sure J.K. Rowling was at least aware of it, even if it wasn't intentional. Wow. You've blown my mind. I'm sorry. I just that that doesn't happen very often. Some Ravenclaws. I'm always wondering if they'd be able to solve the riddle to get into the common room. Alex, I think you'd be safe. <laughs> we, we'll see about that. <laughs> I would never be able to solve the riddle. I um, just think that would be so annoying at certain times. Like, oh like, like I guess Ravenclaws are more organized, and maybe they're they're not running behind schedule, but. If I think back to like my experience at school, I feel like I was always like rushing to get to class or do one thing or another. And if you're like in a hurry and then you have to stop and solve a riddle, that just screws up your whole day. 
Or, like, even coming back, like, if you were, like, had a paper and were, like, at the library to, like, do in the morning like I am. And then it's, like, I have to come back and I just want to sleep. But, nope, got to solve a riddle. Yeah, and yeah. if nobody else comes along for, like, an hour, you're screwed. Camping in the hallway. <laughs> I guess that's, I mean, I guess I, no, I can't say that because I wouldn't be able to solve it myself. So, never mind. Did you guys know, I just, I didn't even have a chance to read the article, I just saw the headline and the photo that accompanied it, but they have these new um, machines in Russia in the subways, or in the metro, um, that it, to get a free subway pass, you, you can stand in front of the machine and do a certain number of exercises, like squats in the machine. I actually did read the article. Using no way! Lasers, and yeah. then gives a free subway pass. It gives, so like you, yeah, a, it gives you one thirtieth of a subway pass. So if you do thirty squats, you get a free subway ride. To like promote like physical activity. Yeah, to yeah. promote like the values of the Olympics is not just something you watch, but like an ideal oh idea. My God. That is awesome. Damn, I would ride. Oh, I'd be in such good shape. Right. <laughs> because I'm kind of cheap, so I would do like a bajillion squats. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, Harry and Sirius are talking in the fire, and obviously Harry basically word vomits everything that's happened over the last couple weeks, because who else does he have to talk to besides Hermione? And God bless her heart. Probably not when you're going to spill all your problems, too. Um, this reminds me of the scene in the movie, because I hate the way they do his face, like, sh shifting out of the coals in the movie. I know, it's so bad. <laughs> Nothing like how I pictured it, like floating no. like it talks about. No. Terrible. Do they ever do it again outside of... Yes, they do. He does it again in... I guess it would have to be order, because... Whoops. He does? But, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, no, they do it differently, where they don't do him, like, climbing out of the coals like a monster. They do it like his, his face is floating, right? I don't remember. No, he totally does. <laughs> um... Are you sure? I mean, you might be a liar, I'm, so... I'm, I'm doubting myself, but, like, I'm pretty sure. Cause I'm, I think I it's just that vividly in your mind. Oh, my God, now I have to look it up. Yeah, I don't think it happens. Continue, and I will prove myself right. Okay, or all right. Die trying. You're insane. So, you know, like I said, Harry's, like, spelling is got serious, but Sirius really focuses on Karkaroff being in the school. He tells Harry that, you know, he used to be a Death Eater, and there's this whole diatribe where he's talking about... um you know, how Karkaroff got released because he released a bunch of names um, to the Ministry of Magic, and, you know, he thinks that he's been teaching the dark arts to basically every student that's walked through his school and warns Harry to be careful of the Durmstrang champion as well. So right here, again, we're getting that reinforcement that these people are bad, don't trust them. You know, she's setting up them as kind of the bad characters. Um, and there's also a mention of... Mooney being or Moody being attacked. I said Mooney. <laughs> um, Moody being attacked at the beginning of the year, and this is um, I think this happened a couple chapters ago, where basically she spelled out everything that was true and legit right in the chapter. Right, that was a couple chapters ago. Mm -hmm. But yeah. here she is again, basically putting it all out there. You know, the plot before the big reveal, basically the genius yeah. moment for the chapter. I also think it's funny that Sirius is like, oh, you've got dragons tomorrow? No big deal. Let me tell you about the real problems. Yeah. Like, true, but Sirius, he's going to face a, a Hungarian horntail tomorrow, so well, maybe give him some advice. Little does he know. Little does right. He know. 
Uh, can I just stop for a second to be like... Are you going to brag? Suck it. <laughs> okay. Don't put that in, but like... <laughs> I'm right. Oh, yeah, so. I do remember that now. <laughs> Wait, did you just post it? Oh. I put it in the chat. Oh, I was just right. really hoping that it was just in your mind, just so you'd have to, like, <laughs> see a doctor or something. I forgot about that stupid scene. That one is not any better than the other I don't even remember when that happens. I just remember it happening because I remember at least actively thinking this is much better than the creepy, like, coal face. Coal face. Okay. Um. So Ceres goes on here, and he's a smart guy because he's already kind of figured it all out so to say. You know, he mentions that there's a lot of very strange things happening. He brings up the Death Eaters at the Quidditch World Cup, and then he brings up Bertha Jorkins, which is still, she's still missing, and then he also mentions Albania, which is the last place that um, Lord Voldemort was seen. He also talks about how dumb she is. He does. He <laughs> says, yeah, very nosy, no brains, none at all. Um, it's a little insensitive, considering... Well, isn't that serious as M.O.? Yeah, well. I mean, that's kind of how he is. So, ow. I guess I'll stop playing with pins. Um, <laughs> I'm having, I told you, I'm having a night. So they're chatting, and Harry hears a noise, and he tells him to stop. Stop talking. And, of course, it's Ron. Ron interrupts just as Sirius was about to tell Harry how to get past the dragons. It says, using a very simple spell. Um, and then Harry basically gets pissed. And completely explodes at Ron. And, like, eh, rightfully so? I mean... No. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. I think he's just kind This is of one exploding. of the few times I'm actually on Ron's side. Like, Harry, shake back. Right. Yeah, also, Ron it's late. Why are you getting so angsty at 2 in the morning? Like, go to bed. <laughs> well, that's the exact reason why he's getting angsty, because it's 2 in the morning. <laughs> Nothing good happens after 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I guess this brings up the point for me, like, Ron is all pissy, too. And why in the hell does he actually believe Rita? Like, I don't, it just feels so crappy. Like, I know he's mad at Harry, but why would you believe all those things that that Rita woman said? Oh, I don't think he believes it. I think he's just using it to get it back, to get back at him. Right, because Hermione says pretty much when Harry asks, like, "Oh, does oh no that I'm misattributing that that was whether or not he put his name in the goblet." But at the same time, same thing goes. Like, it's where he doesn't actually believe it. Like, not even deep down, like pretty surface level. But he's just like to validate his own anger. It's just like, yes, yeah, stupid person with a stupid article. Okay, so then, um, then I've got a question. So Harry chucks one of those Potter stinks badges at him, hits him in the forehead. And he gives him this nice dig. He says how you might even have a scar now if you're lucky. That's what you want, isn't it? Which I was like, whoa, that is... Yeah, that was so uncalled for. A deep burn, yeah. Um, but do you think Ron would ever wear one of those? No. No. You know I mean, he so? doesn't. Yeah. I actually I mean, asked fact... this question in the forums to like get people's responses, so I'm glad you brought this up. Oh, good. So everybody should go over to the forums and talk about it then. Yeah, I also threatened if Gryffindor said that they would wear it, that I disown them. Oh boy. I'll second vote. But no, I, I don't think, I mean, even as upset as he is, like, no, Ron would never do that. I'm not Because, so you sure. know, Potter stinks is the ultimate insult you can throw at a person. <laughs> Just, 
<laughs> I suppose. Like, um, Ron, is, Ron is like, you can tell right here, if, like, you really think about, like, his perspective, like, he is hurting here. Like, he is, he is, he's hurt. And the thing that always got me about this is why isn't Harry just like, oh, I was talking to Sirius in the fire. Like, why is it a big deal? Right, and it's even made more apparent in the movie when it would have been so easy to for him to be like, yeah. just say that, and it would have been totally fine. And it actually probably would have bridged it faster because Ron would have been curious about like what was said or something. Right. So it was just that it was Harry being. This, I mean, this shows one of Harry's faults. Like he's very stubborn to like to his own end here. Very, very true. Well, thus ends one of the lengthiest non-exciting chapters of this book. I liked it. I like dragons. Well, dragons are great. Chapter, this chapter also gets a pretty huge amount of screen time in the film, too. I mean, between yeah. the, the dragon true. scene, um, between the fire scene, I mean, thinking about how much they truncate from each film to make the movies, this chapter gets a lot of time. That's true. This mm-hmm. is probably a good, you know, six or seven minutes, this one particular chapter, maybe in ten minutes. Yeah. yeah. Huh, that's true. I think it's mostly because of the dragons. They just wanted to show the dragons in the cages. And that dragon cage scene always reminds me of the opening scene of Jurassic Park when they're, like, getting the Velociraptor into the cage and, like, stabbing him with the electric sticks. Aw. Sad. That's so yeah. mean. Yeah, well, true. the Velociraptors get their revenge later. So. Well, they- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And dinner, so. <laughs> that's true. Reve- revenge and dinner right there. So now the podcast question of the week. Um, in this chapter, pretty much the main chunk of the action is Harry going to see the dragons, and he gets to go there because Hagrid leads him there. Um, but Hagrid, uh, Harry isn't the only one that Hagrid leads. He obviously leads leads Madame Maxime as well. So I think what we'd like to know is, do you think in this moment that Hagrid is his primary concern Harry or Madame Maxime? Who is he doing this more for? To help out his friend or to get some tail? Some horn yeah. tail. <laughs> oh, but a thing. Very good. Nice. That was a good addition, Alex. I like that. Mic drop. Mic drop. I, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I'm really excited to read these responses because I think in our hearts we want it to be one thing, but... I don't know if we could be so sure of Hagrid. Right. I think this, this, yeah, we'll get some interesting responses this week, for sure. Can you read that my question next week, though? Because I'm really curious what people have to say about that. Sure. Yep. Okay. And we want to say a huge thank you to Alex for joining us this week. It was great having you. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And I love, Caleb, that you're wearing a Texas Swagger shirt in your Skype. Uh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's great. We need to get you a Texas Quidditch shirt. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I mean, they kind of they kind of fought in the well, they didn't flop, but they didn't win the Southwest, so I was upset. But we'll see. Well, they'll have to rebound during the the World Cup. Yeah. Well, they have their Southwest regional. Uh, the Southwest regional championship is in February. Oh, that's right. This one wasn't that's the championship. Excellent. It was yeah, just this was like, just a this was just a tournament, a, a, regu- a regular season tournament. So championships in February. Uh, and they'll have their they'll have their chance there. Although I've heard that a lot of their uh, top players have left, have graduated, and are now playing for a Texas club team called the Lone Star Quidditch Club. Right. Yeah. I, I saw I saw their scores. I was actually this is kind of a plug for your website. I was 
um, reading like some of the reports from the tournament. They're really great and in depth. Like they give really good reports of what happened during mm-hmm. the tournaments. Oh yeah, they're super detailed. The the players are are most of the reports are written by players and they're obsessed with the sport and they love writing about it any chance they can get. And most, of, I mean, and I feel like I just read somewhere that the majority of players at this point aren't Harry Potter fans. They're like actual athletes. That's a good, I'd be curious to know. We haven't done a survey in a little while. Our last survey was in early 2011. Um, I'd, def, I'd say definitely a very large percentage um, are more into Quidditch just for Quidditch as a sport. Yeah, I know I just went to um, a party that was all the whole Quidditch team. It was very fun. <laughs> but um, it was because all the people, everyone that I talked to, was like five people were like really, really big Harry Potter fans, and like the other 30 just joined because the sport looked like awesome. Which I think is cool because then they like are become more like into Harry Potter because they've like being exposed to it in that way. And then conversely, the people that are Harry Potter fans are being exposed to like athletics, athletics and stuff. So it's really awesome. I just bought my Rutgers Quidditch team shirt. Nice. So Alex, just remind everybody where they can find out some more information about um, Muggle Quidditch in their area. Sure. Uh, anybody who's interested in finding out more about Quidditch, to find out about any games coming up in their area or joining a team or creating their own team, they can head over to IQAQuidditch.com. Awesome. And if any of you out there listening want to be a guest on the show, much like Alex today, you know the drill. Go over to our Be On The Show page on our website and find out how you can do it. Of course, you do need appropriate audio equipment. That includes a set of headphones. And in the meantime, don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Subscribe to us. Otherwise, when will you download the newest episode? Who knows? If you subscribe, you'll get it right away. And leave us a review because we love your reviews. So do it. And you can also let us know your thoughts on our Twitter page, which is at, which is at MN, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash door. You can leave us a voicemail at 206-GO-ALBUS, which is 206-462-5287. Or you can also now leave us a message on Audioboo, which is what, what you do is you leave us a message directly on our main site, alohomor.mugglenet.com, and, and it could be played on the show, which we played one today. So it's free. All you need is a microphone. Make sure to check out our store that has tons of great products, including T-shirts that are short and now long sleeves since it's getting cold, tote bags, sweatshirts, flip-flops, water bottles, travel mugs, and a lot more coming soon. And we also have the MLF and the Desk Pig merchandise now available. There are over 80 products to choose from, and we also have ringtones, which you can check out for free on our website. And we, um, just real quick, I want to take a quick second and thanks to everybody who voted for us for the podcast awards. Voting ended yesterday, um, and now fingers crossed. We won't find out till January if we won, but if you voted for us, especially if you voted every day, big round of applause. We love you. Yeah, you're Thank awesome. You so much. And just one more plug before we end the show. Don't forget to check out our app. You know, it's available pretty much worldwide at this point. Prices vary depending on where you live, but it has transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and like a bajillion things more. So check it out. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Laura Riley. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 57 of Alohomora. Open the jumble.